I bring you greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every path straight. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In this broadcast, we want to discuss the theology of the resurrection of the dead. The word theology is basically two words, theo and logos. Theo simply means God and logos is talking about the word or the study. So we are looking at God's word on the resurrection of the dead or the study of what God is saying on the resurrection of the dead. Simply put, the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. So far, we've discussed the fact that the dead indeed do rise. We've also discussed the fact that there's a temporary resurrection which speaks of either physical resurrection or spiritual resurrection. We said physical resurrection is what happens when somebody dies on this side of life and he's brought back to life on this side of life. That person will eventually die again and never be brought back to this side of life. That is physical resurrection. Then we said spiritual resurrection is what happens when somebody is deep in sin. Basically, when we were sinners and then we heard the word of God and we were converted to Christianity. That is spiritual resurrection. We were dead in sin and we were quickened, made alive by the Spirit of God. And now we are aware of truth and are open to whatever it is that God is saying to us. Then in our last podcast, we spoke about permanent resurrection as distinct from temporary resurrection. Permanent resurrection is what happens when somebody dies on this side of life and is gone. What is left here are his remains. But that a time is going to come when that person will be raised back to life. Now, we discussed three kinds of permanent resurrections. The first one is the first fruit resurrection, which is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that has taken place. The second one is the first resurrection, which is the resurrection of all those who die in Christ. That is, those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ before they died. And that will happen at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is yet to happen. The third kind of resurrection is what we call the final resurrection. It is the resurrection of all those who do not believe in Christ Jesus, who by the time they died, died as unbelievers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be raised up at a later time than the second resurrection. We also noted emphatically that of all the resurrections that we discussed, the one that is referred to under the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead is the permanent resurrection. That is what we mean when we say the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. We are discussing the resurrection of the permanent type. We mentioned the other types of resurrection because we wanted to clear up any misconception to let people know that we are not discussing a situation of somebody who died and is brought back to life on this side. No, that's not what we're discussing. We're also not discussing somebody who was deep in sin and has been raised back. We're also not discussing resuscitation or revival. We're discussing a situation in which somebody has died and is gone. And at a later point in time, he will be raised back to life. So we will look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the whole chapter, which is a chapter I have dubbed the theology of the resurrection of the dead. So let's go to the word of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll read from verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I received to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, 
Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are also found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruit, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead do not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it for me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But someone will say, How are the dead? Rest up, and with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. 
However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. May the Lord bless of his word in Jesus' name. So we find in this rather lengthy scripture, the Holy Spirit speaking to us through Paul, setting forth an orderly presentation on the subject of the resurrection of the dead. The Holy Spirit is addressing concerns about this all-important doctrine and does not want us to be ignorant nor deceived, but rather he wants us to be assured and certain about the resurrection of the dead. So the Holy Spirit is not entering into any controversy. He's setting forth for us an orderly presentation. This is what resurrection of the dead is about. So let's look at this as best as we can and draw out about seven or eight points that the Spirit of God wants us to understand. The first one is that our salvation is the result of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He sets that clearly in verses 3 and 4. He says, deliver to you, first of all, that which also do, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. So he sets it forth. This is what we believe. Our faith, our belief, our conviction about the death, the burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the basis of eternal salvation, is the basis on which we have salvation. And then he goes on from verse 5 to 8 to tell us, that, look, there were witnesses to the resurrection. Peter or Cephas, the other apostles, James, the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. They said 500 people. Some of them had died at the time. But he said a lot of them were still alive at the time of the writing to the Corinthians. So he said, look, there's proof. Because there was the issue of dispute about the resurrection. Which was what gave rise to the writing of this portion of the episode. The second thing that I want us to note from what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, is that resurrection is real. It is not a hoax. It is not a myth. It is real and it is certain. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ attests to the truth about the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ becomes the focal point, the foundation, the basis of our belief in the resurrection of the dead. He goes on to elaborate and says, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then our faith, our belief system, our conviction, our religion is false and futile. 
If that were the case, then it means we believed in vain. He says, if that were the case, then we are wasting our time. Paul was writing there. He said, why don't we go out and eat and drink? And we know that tomorrow we are going to die. And that's it. Because the people who say there's no resurrection actually are saying that life ends here. That once a man dies and is buried, everything is over. There's no expectation of a future. There's no better place to go to. Everything ends here on the earth. But that is a fallacy. If Christ did not resurrect from the dead, then we are no different from other belief systems. Because other belief systems, their mediators or their principals, if you can use that expression, died, have been buried, and they've not been raised up. It is only in Christianity that there is the claim to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That there is no tomb that held him and kept him in place. Peter was speaking in Acts chapter 2 and said, look, David who spoke of the body of the Savior, not seeing corruption. He says his tomb is still with us, but the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ does not exist. And this is the reality. Now, he also says that if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then the preachers and their preachings are fake, false, deceptive, and must be discarded. That's a simple way to put it. If Christ did not die, and the message of salvation is tied to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but Christ did not die, then what are we believing? That preaching is false, is deceptive, and must not be heeded. It must be discarded. But that is not the case. Christ actually died, was buried, and was resurrected. And many people saw him at that time and attested to it. And that became the witness of the early church that brought many to Christ. If Christ did not die and resurrect, then we are still steep in sin. Because the basis of our salvation and of the removal of sin is not just that Christ died but that he resurrected because the Bible says he was raised for our justification when he was raised he wiped away sin completely and we walk knowing that our sins of the past is gone but the truth is Christ has risen so resurrection is real number three the Holy Spirit wants us to understand that Jesus's resurrection is the first fruit of the resurrection of the dead and that there is an implication or there are implications of that, the term first fruit, I think I mentioned a little bit of that in our last broadcast. When you say something is a first fruit, it means there is a harvest that is going to take place later on. There's a harvest of other resurrections that will take place. Christ's resurrection was the first fruit, a sign of other resurrections to take place, but each one in its proper order. We discussed a lot of this in our last broadcast. Jesus' resurrection, as another implication, gives us a clue on how other resurrections will take place, especially of those who died in Christ. So God puts before us the truth and the reality of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead so that we know for a fact that other resurrections will take place and says this is a first fruit and we know that God cannot lie. That brings us to point number four. All who die in Christ, what the Bible says, those who fall asleep, because if you die in Christ, you are merely sleeping. It is when you die outside of Christ that you are dead. All who die in Christ will be resurrected at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe I mentioned in our last broadcast that the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is in two phases. There's the first phase when he comes to receive his own to him in the sky. He doesn't touch foot on the earth. The final of the second coming is when he touches his feet on the earth to begin a reign of 1,000 years. At that time, he dislodges the Antichrist. So when the Lord Jesus Christ comes the first time of his second coming, the dead in Christ will be raised. 
all their bodies, wherever the bodies are, will come up. And the spirit and soul will again merge with the bodies. There will be a reuniting and those people will have their bodies intact. Now, I need to make a clear distinction between resurrection of the dead and the rapture of the living. When we talk of resurrection of those who died in Christ, they will be resurrected. By the time the Lord Jesus Christ comes the first time in the second coming, there will be Christians alive on the earth. Those Christians that are alive on the earth will be raptured. The Bible says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, those people will be caught up in a way that what makes them human, that is blood, will no longer be in them. Just like there is no blood flowing in a dead body. They will not die, but they will be raptured. The Bible mentions that from verse 50 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So not everybody will die. There are people who will not die when Christ returns, but all will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. That is, those who are alive will be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So the catching up or the rapture, as it is popularly known, will transform those who are alive so that their bodies are also changed to the kind of resurrected bodies that others have. The fifth thing we also want to know is that all who die apart from Christ will also be resurrected. But after the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some of the events that will happen at the end, Christ comes for his own. And then there's a seven-year period when the Antichrist reigns on the earth. At the end of the seven-year period, Christ returns. That's the second coming of the second coming. And at that time, the Antichrist is destroyed. His armies are completely destroyed. And then Christ reigns for 1,000 years. During the 1,000-year reign, nobody will die. It's going to be a reign of peace. It's going to be a reign in which animals and humans will play together. No snake will bite anybody. No lion will eat anybody. Children will put their hands in the mouths of animals. Everything will be a 1,000-year reign of peace. At the end of the 1,000-year reign of peace, all those who died apart from Christ will not be raised. So the resurrection of the dead who did not believe in Christ will happen after the millennial reign of Christ. Number six, if we refuse to believe the resurrection of Christ from death, and indeed that Christians who fall asleep will be raised, we will live carelessly and we will be carefree, we will be nonchalant rather than being godly and being righteous. Let me go from verse 18, 19 rather. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Then he speaks of another part in verse 29. He says, otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead do not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? People have died. But they died without being baptized. And some people were standing in as it were in the gap for their baptism. And he was trying to say, why do they do those things if they don't believe that the dead rise? It's not as if that is a doctrine or a practice that should be held. But he was saying the people who were practicing that is because they believed that the dead who died without being baptized should have been baptized. And so they were standing in the gap for them. It doesn't mean that it's a correct doctrine. But he said, why do you think they were doing that? Because they believed that there's a resurrection. And then in verse 30 he says, and why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? Why are we killing ourselves? I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus 
our Lord, I die daily. Why am I killing myself every day? Why do I go through these kind of challenges? In verse 2 says, if in the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it for me? If I put my life on the line, for what? That there's no resurrection? I will preach and be beaten, be persecuted and be beheaded because there's no resurrection. I will preach and will lose goods because there's no resurrection. What kind of belief is that? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Let's live carelessly. Let's live recklessly. After all, what is there to live for? But then in verse 3, it says, do not be deceived. Evil company associating with people who are given wrong doctrines. It says, corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. It says, don't be misled. Be careful who you associate with. Evil interactions will corrupt the word of God. That should be in you. And you begin to live like them. There are people today who are listening to teachings that would suggest that everything revolves around the earth and not beyond the earth. And they have been deceived. And that's what it says, awake to righteousness. I'm asking you, awake to righteousness. Those teachings that tell you to go out for cars, money, homes, children, for this, for that. Those things may be there, but they are not essential. That is the truth. Don't allow yourself to be corrupted by such messages because they don't get your heart prepared for the eventuality and the inevitability of death. Number seven, what kind of bodies will we have at the resurrection? The Holy Spirit tells us. He says the resurrected body will not be the same as the one that was buried. So what is coming out from the graves will not be that one that became dust. There's something about that body and he explains it to us. The resurrected body, he says, will be devoid of decomposition. It will be devoid of decay, of disintegration. So this human body can be blasted by a bomb. But the new body, no bomb can touch it. The new body does not decay, does not decompose. The old body was subjected to putrefaction. That is, it smells when it begins to rot, when it begins to decompose. It is unsanitary. And so we have to bury it to hide it away. That's what means that it is buried in dishonor. We put it aside. There is nobody who wants to live with a human corpse. You can't stay in the same place with a human corpse and be comfortable. Then it talks about the weakness of the old body. The old body is subject to sicknesses, to disabilities, to impairments, to diseases. The old body will become dust. But the new body, when it is raised, it will be raised in incorruption. That is, you cannot decompose it. No matter what, it is a body that can live forever. We're not going to be talking about makeup. We're not going to be talking about keeping ourselves young, the portion of youthfulness and other things. No, the body remains that way. It's incorruptible. It is going to be raised up honorable and glorious. It will be a glorious body. It's not this one that after some time it fades, after some time you get old and other things. This one is going to be glorious. And then it tells us that the body is going to be raised up in power. It will be immune from infirmities, immune from diseases. When the body is raised up, the man who had one eye at death, he will have two eyes. The man who lost his two feet will have two feet. The man who was born lame will be able to walk. All the defects in this human body will be perfected at this resurrection. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ said it's better. If your eye will make you see, remove it. Because at the resurrection, your eyes will be supplied. You will get them back. So whatever you are losing for the sake of the gospel, at the resurrection, they will be given back to you. And then, he says, this body is dust, is earthy. But the one that is going to be raised is spiritual. And the Lord Jesus Christ gave us an indication of that in Luke chapter 24, from verse 36. Talking about when the Lord Jesus Christ was resurrected. 
He says, now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. He passed through walls, passed through doors, just materialized. The resurrected body cannot be held back by walls, cannot be held back by doors, by vaults or whatever. Nothing can keep it out. It can pass through anything, but it is still a body with bones in it. Yet it can pass through the material things of this earth. In verse 37 of Luke 24, it says, But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. So the flesh and bones will still be there. But we'll be able to pass through material matters on the earth. In verse 40, when he has said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. So we'll be able to do those things, but we are going to be resurrected bodies at that time. And the Lord Jesus' body, his resurrection, gives us an evidence of what it will look like. Finally, death does not have power over the resurrected bodies. When a believer is raised up, he will never taste death again. We discussed that in Revelation chapter 20 verse 6 last week. But let's look at it again. Revelation 26, it says, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. That's the resurrection of the believers in Christ. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So there is not going to be anything like a second death. No, we die once. We're resurrected forever. But those who go through the final resurrection and not the first resurrection, that is those who died not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, the second death has power over them. That second death is when they are thrown into the fiery flame of hell. At that point, I think I explained that last week, that the fire, because they are also going to get these resurrected bodies, the fire will not disintegrate the bodies, but they will feel the pain of the fire, which will be burning forever. There are worms in that fire in hell or Gehenna. The worms will be able to pierce through the body. But remember, it's a new kind of body. It does not disintegrate. But these worms will be able to enter, but it does not make the body to degenerate. But they will feel the pain. It is important that people understand this. That brings me to the last thing we want to discuss under this theme of the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. Why do we study the theology of the resurrection of the dead? Number one, to prepare the believer in Christ for the inevitability of death. Don't let anybody fool you into saying that, oh, you will never die. You will die. And if you don't die before Christ comes, there's going to be a rapture. So you have to be prepared for it by getting you to live right before God. Not living right before your pastor, but living right before God according to his word. Following what he is saying, what the Lord is saying to you. Secondly, it is to affirm our hope of eternal life. As we go through these teachings, those who are assured of eternal life can affirm that this is indeed the right track that I'm following. Thirdly, it is to make us understand the reality of the hopelessness of living without Christ. If you live without Christ, you may think that you are enjoying some perks here on earth. But there's going to come a time when in eternity you will not be able to live that way. You will get new bodies right. But those new bodies will take the pain 
of the fire of hell. If you put this body in fire, it will be charred. But the body that is going into Gehenna will have been resurrected and will be prepared to withstand the fire of hell. But the bearer of that body will feel the pain. And that pain is forever. So you can imagine the hopelessness of wanting to live a life without Jesus Christ. When living a life with Christ would give you a better outcome. The same resurrected body, but a body that is built to receive the enjoyment of eternity with God and Christ in heaven. Number four, teaching like this assures the living believers of the certainty of the well-being of those believers who died in Christ. That is those who have fallen asleep and therefore to bring us to the place of comfort. In First Thessalonians, I believe we read this last time, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus at the second coming. The second part of the second coming. He said God will bring them. They will come back. They will come back. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from the heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up or raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Be assured that your brother, your sister, who died in Christ has not died in vain. He is going to be raised up again at the resurrection. And if you die before Christ comes and you are in Christ at your death, you also will be raised up to life. If whilst you are alive, Christ returns, then you will be raptured. So be comforted by this word. So the teaching of the theology of the resurrection of the dead is there to assure us that those who have died and gone, those who have fallen asleep are indeed okay. And so we should not sorrow like the world as though, oh, they are gone, they are disintegrated forever, ever. No, if you walk with Christ, you will again be reunited with them at the resurrection of the dead. Finally, it is to warn of the futility and the folly of living apart from Christ and to encourage those who are not in Christ now to come to Christ for their eternal salvation. A teaching like this, this is the truth. If it were fable, why the jeopardy? Why the expenditure? Why the expense? Why the energy? Why spend so much effort to convince people? The reality is, it is in Christ Jesus that there is salvation. And I'm not speaking empty words. The reality is clear. When a person gives his life to Christ, I mean genuinely, I'm not talking of some fake thing. He knows instantly that something has happened. There is a change evident even in his life. He will begin to hate sin. He will look at himself and not believe that he did the things that he used to do. He will avoid sin like a plague. He will now know a new joy and a peace that comes upon him. That's why the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 14, verse 17. He says, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness speaks about wanting to please God. You want to do what is right. You don't want to do anything that is wrong again. There's going to be a peace, a tranquility in your inner man. No turmoil, no troublings, no fear. And then there's joy. What do you need to do? Simple. Recognize that you are a sinner right now, that you are living in sin, and that you need to repent. Turn back from your sin and come to God. How? 
Speak to God about it. Tell him, I am a sinner. Use your own words. Speak in your language. I am a sinner. Have mercy on me. Change my life. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. I want him to come into my life and change my life around. When you say that, God will send his spirit into your life. And you will know that a change has really taken place in your life. People around you will know that a change has taken place. You wouldn't need to be telling people that you have changed. It will be clear that a change has taken place in your life. So I want to encourage you. If you are yet to give your life to Christ, this is an opportunity to surrender your life to Christ. So that on the last day, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes for his own, you'll be amongst those who will be raised back to life at the first resurrection. That is the resurrection of the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. By the grace of God, next week, all things being equal, we shall be discussing the doctrine of eternal judgment. Until then, God bless you and goodbye.